The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and 1077 FM HD 2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it was a very interesting week in technology. Uh, AI is making remarkable progress in the folding protein problem, which I'll explain later in the show and and, uh, why that is so important. A warning of the week. Hackers are selling home security videos online. And these are videos of everything. So you better watch out. I'll talk about how you can protect yourself from that. Uh, you know, this thing with uh, s- cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and the other ones, they are burning up more and more energy trying to validate that distributed ledger. It's uh, now crypto coin mining is going to release more CO2 than Czechia, which is, uh, you know, quite a large country over there. And the dark web will not hide criminals anymore. This week, we're going to feature Caitlin Carrico. She is the one-woman force behind the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna uh, COVID vaccines. She worked on that project 40 years, and everyone said she was going down a dead end. And she showed everyone that she was wrong. And of course... It is a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc Jim and the ghost in the machine, Mr. Big Voice. I'm sure that Doc has been following the Mars drone news since he's a drone fanatic of sorts. Anyway, just a reminder that we're coming up on the planned date of the first flight. All the best, your faithful listener, Bob in Maryland. Well, Bob, thanks for reminding me of that. I am excited about that drone uh, helicopter. It's been cleared for takeoff Sunday, April 11th. That'd be tomorrow. Now, we won't get any of the video from it till the next day. There's a 24-hour lag time, but I'm waiting to see it. Now, the helicopter's named Ingenuity. It will fly above the Jezero Crater, uh, for on a 40-second flight, by the way, 40 seconds is roughly four times longer than the Wright brothers' first flight on Earth 117 years ago. And in honor of the Wright brothers, the drone is going to contain a small piece of the original Wright brothers' plane. Now, the flight plan is, uh, is shows the helicopter only hovering about nine feet above the surface, It'll collect some black and white um, uh, video data. 
of landmarks below it with a high-definition horizon video and some engineering data. Now, the, now here's the problem. This is why it's so difficult to get a helicopter to operate in Mars. The Martian atmosphere is just a tenth, one uh, percent, the density of the Earth's atmosphere. Now, you know, when the helicopter's wings spin, they push against the air. So that means they've got to push a hundred times more air in order to get the same lift when they're on when they're on uh, Mars. Now, in order for them to get sufficient lift with this helicopter, the blades must rotate 2,500 times a second, 25 RP, no, 2,500 times a minute, 2,500 RPM. And uh, that is really moving quickly in, so that the blades don't fall apart because of centrifugal force. They're very thick down at the bottom and they're, very, and they're thin out at the tips. Uh, now it's got to fly autonomously because it's like, it takes 15 minutes to get a radio signal up and 15 minutes back. So they couldn't control it from earth. So it's going to have to be completely, uh, autonomously uh, driven. Now the big challenge was when they separated it from the, uh, from the Rover is that it had to stay warm at night because at night the temp, the surface temperatures on Mars go to minus 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Your fleece will not work in that kind of temperature. No, nothing works in that kind of temperature. No. I'm telling you, it will it will totally uh, it will totally ruin the electronics. So <clears throat> there's a battery on board that heats it at night, so it so the electronics is not ruined, and the battery is also used to, to power the flight. Now, the battery uh, was originally charged by the rover, but it, it maintains this charge using solar cells that are on top of the, uh, of the helicopter. Now, the first big test when they released it was, will it live the first night with its own heater? And it did. They've already spun up the helicopter to 50 RPMs uh, just to make certain that the motors are working. And now everything is geared for the big flight tomorrow. April 11th, and I am anxious to hear what the results are. We got an email from Ronnie in St. Louis, Missouri. Dear Tech Talk, I heard that hackers have stolen Facebook passwords. How can I find out whether my account is included in the data breach? If so, what should I do? Ronnie in St. Louis. Well, actually, Ronnie, this was one of the largest hacks in the history of the Internet. Although it's just beginning to dominate the news, this hack actually took place two years ago in 2019. Now, the reason it popped up again is that, is that finally Facebook admitted how many records were stolen. 53, 530 million people had their records compromised in that hack. 530 million people. Now, if you want to check whether your data was taken, because not everyone was, the first thing you want to check is, is your phone number in your Facebook account? Because they only stole records where there was a phone number. They were tagged against the phone number. So if you have no phone number in your account, they didn't steal your data. If you got a phone number, chances are they did. Now, if you have a phone number in your account, you can go to this website on the newsearchday.com, Facebook phone numbers U.S., and I will, um, I'll post that link uh, on Monday when we post the show. You click on that, you put in your phone number, and it'll tell you whether your account has been hacked. It comes back, the answer comes back in about uh, a second. It's very quick. Now, 
If it turns out that your data has been hacked, first of all, you want to go into your Facebook account and change your password. That would be the first thing you'd want to do. Second thing is what I would advise is activate two-factor authentication to your Facebook account. You know, that's where you uh, put in your password and then you have it send a text message to your phone. You read the number on your phone and input the number that was sent to your phone. So now you've authenticated your account with two factors, the password plus the code that was sent to your text message. And also, um, uh, these hackers like to use all your Facebook information for identity theft. So keep a, keep a sharp eye on your bank accounts there. And don't put too much personal information on your bank account, on, I mean, in your Facebook page. You know, they can, because there are questions like, what you know, what are the name of your children, where have you lived, and all of that, in this ver these verifications. And if you got all that information on your Facebook page, it's a lot easier to steal your identity. We got an email from John in Chesapeake. Dear Doc and Jim, I've got a three-year-old laptop. It's got a broken screen. I checked it would cost more to replace the screen than the laptop's really worth. I just plan to chunk it. But I got many files on there. I'd like to get them off. How can I get the files off that computer with a broken screen? Well, uh, I mean, there are a number of things you can do. So even though the screen is unusable, chances are the laptop will still boot up. So if so, simply turn on the laptop. And then if you've got it, if you have an external monitor around, plug it in to the video port on the laptop and you can simply use the external monitor to, uh, you know, to, 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 to copy the files. That, that'd be your easiest bet. Now, if it, uh, if you don't have an external monitor, you can actually remove the hard drive. You can put it into an external USB drive adapter. You can just check, get, get one of those on Amazon or go down to Best Buy. They're, you know, they're 10, 15 bucks. And then you simply plug it in to another computer and then you can copy the files off of it that way. Now, if you end up using the first option of uh, copying, of, of using an external monitor and the drive still on the laptop, before you send the laptop to the recycler, make certain to remove the hard drive so somebody doesn't get a hold of that hard drive and steal all your information. We got an email from Peter in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I recently upgraded my computer by adding a one terabyte solid state hard drive to make it run faster. I cloned the contents of the existing drive and it uh, and copied it to the new solid state drive. And then I wiped the existing drive off and just use it for external, you know, for additional storage if I need it. Now, the machine is booting up, but this is my question. I went to the BIOS and it looks like it's booting first off of the old hard drive that doesn't have windows on it. How could that be? Am I really booting up on the solid state drive? Uh, Peter in Fairfax, I'm confused. Well, uh, Peter, getting a solid state hard drive, great investment. You'll love the speed. Your, your computer's going to boot up a lot faster. Uh, the fact is, uh, since you deleted Windows from the old drive, it can't boot up on the old drive. Now, what when you go to the BIOS, what you're looking at is a boot sequence. You're saying, check this hard drive first and look for an operating system. If you don't find an operating system there, check this hard drive second. If you don't find an operating system there, there check this uh, hard drive. If you don't find an operating system on any, on any place, give an error message. So what's happening with that boot sequence, they're going to your old hard drive, checking for an operating system, none there. 
So then it goes to the solid state hard drive. It says, oh, here's a, here's a, uh, here's a boot sector. And they boot up on the solid state hard drive. So you're actually, your machine is working perfectly. You've got no issues at all. And if you'd like, you could go into the BIOS. You could change the boot order. So it boots on the solid state hard drive first, if that would make you feel more comfortable. And it may boot up a little faster. We got an email from John in Chesapeake. Dear Doc and Jim. Uh, oh, just a minute here. Sorry. We got an email okay. from Alice in Alexandria. I have a computer with Windows 10 on it. It used to be that when I tried to uh, delete a file, uh, it would pop up and say, are you sure that you want to delete this file? And then I would double check it and then I would delete it. Well, it, as it turns out now, it doesn't ask me that confirmation question. And uh, I kind of liked it because it kept me from making mistakes. Can I get it back, Alice and Alexandria? Well, Alice, I like those confirmation messages too. I, it, they actually uh, keep me from making mistakes. Now, it's very easy to get those files, to, that file uh, deletion confirmation back again. What you want to do is go to the, find the recycle bin icon on the desktop. Then you right-click on it and select properties from the drop-down menu, and then check the box beside display delete confirmation dialog. So you just probably that got unchecked somehow, and you just click on that that says display delete confirmation dialog. Now, there's also an option about whether you want to move files to the, to the recycle bin or just delete them. Make certain that you, uh, that you do not click the line that says, do not move files to the recycle bin because you want them to go to the recycle bin. That's, that's, a, that's a safety protection for you in case you make a mistake. And then in case you ever want to restore them. And then after that, click OK, and you are good to go. You will see that confirmation uh, warning come up every time you delete a file. Uh, we got an email from Mary Ann in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I've got an iPhone. However, my son only buys Androids. We're what you call a blended family. We've got iPhones and Androids blended together. Now, I love to FaceTime with all my friends. I do it all the time. But I'm unable to use FaceTime with him because Android does not support FaceTime. Or know what I should say, because Microsoft will not let FaceTime run on the Android phone. They also will not let iMessage run on the Android phone. What options do I have, Marianne and Fairfax? Well, fortunately, uh, Marianne, there are many, many options that you can you can do video conferencing with with folks between uh, iPhones and Androids. Now, many people use Facebook Messenger. That's very popular, easy to use. Now, I don't like it. You got all kinds of privacy concerns with Facebook. And they track everything. But a lot of people like Facebook Messenger because it's so convenient. Now, WhatsApp is another option. Uh, we video conference with all of our international friends using WhatsApp because they use WhatsApp, you know, in Asia, all over Asia. It's a very popular uh, a video, video chat uh, application, which I like, easy to use. You know, unfortunately, Facebook bought it because they're trying to you know, wipe out the competition. So it's a, actually it's, it's Facebook owned, but at this time they haven't mucked around with it. It still is the same, uh, 
it's the same great service that they've always had. But I suspect I'm sacrificing privacy again because Facebook owns it. Now, the old standby, of course, is Skype. That's been around for years. I love Skype. That was my first video conferencing uh, software. It still works. Works on the um, works on the Android phone. Works on the iPhone. It's uh, it's really a very excellent uh, option. Uh, micro, uh, Skype, of course, is owned by Microsoft. And, you know, all of these big companies are buying up these upstarts because they want to try to control the marketplace. Now, Google heard all the complaints that uh, Android users are saying about not having Facebook. So they created their answer to Facebook, Google Duo. Google Duo is like a is like Facebook. Now, the one thing that Android did, they allowed you to install Google Duo on an iPhone. So if you install Google Duo on your iPhone, you can chat with your son over Google Duo, and it will feel like FaceTime. And then the last one, if you've got, if it's just not a one-on-one conversation, you want to have a group of people chatting, <clears throat> Zoom. Zoom is really great for groups. And you can do you can set up a Zoom conference call video, and it's free if you if you're on the free tier. Now the only advantage disadvantage of the free tier is that you're limited to a 40 minute video conference. Now I know that uh, you know that a lot of people like to play game, family games this thing, but so if what happens is that when you reach your 40 minute limit, you simply create a new Zoom session. And have everybody log back in, and you can continue on. But that is the one. And the other thing is with the free tier, you cannot schedule a Zoom call. You can only invite people to a current Zoom call. Listen, we love, love, love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, 107.7 FM HD2, southwest of D.C. and in Loudoun County. You can hear us at 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University and how you can attend by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Catalan Carico. Catalan Carico is a Hungarian biochemist who specializes in RNA, ribonucleic acid, which is used in part of the uh, DNA process. Uh, Her research focused on messenger RNA for protein therapies and was the basis for the two COVID vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. I want to feature her because those vaccines are the result of almost 40 years of research on her behalf. Curico was born January 17, 1955. She grew up in Kizui uh, Zala, Hungary, where she attended Maritz Zygmunt Reformatist Gymnasium. Her father was a butcher. Now, she earned a Ph.D. from the University of Zeged, and after she got her Ph.D., she continued her research right at the school, performing postdoctoral studies at the Biological Research Center. Uh, during those postdoc studies, she worked on synthesizing RNA, ribonucleic acid. Now, uh, RNA's principal role is to act like a messenger that carries instructions from DNA for controlling the synthesis of proteins. So DNA has the uh, formula of life. It knows exactly what cells should be. And when the DNA process during the growth of the body is trying to form skin or bone, which are all proteins, it will spin out an RNA as an intermediate uh, messenger. The RNA then will create those cells, those protein cells. So what she was working on was creating an artificial RNA that would be able to create proton cells or uh, yeah, uh, protein cells directly. Uh, Now she worked there at the university until 1985 and they, they eliminated her position unceremoniously. So, so she looked around and she found another postdoctoral position at Temple University in Philadelphia. So, uh, at that time she was married. So she and her husband, uh, she had a, she had a daughter, they sold their car. Uh, and at that, and uh, Hungary at that time was communist. You were not allowed to take any money out of Hungary. So they sold their car. They got they got $1,200 in cash on the black market for the sale of the car. So she took that $1,200 and she put it in a, in her daughter's teddy bear and she smuggled it out of Hungary. So her daughter carried the teddy bear and they went from Hungary to Temple University in Philadelphia. And she, uh, and she continued her research in RNA as, as a postdoc. Now, you know, postdocs don't, don't really earn much money, but they, they, they give them sustenance wages. Uh, she, uh, she participated in a clinical trial in which patients with AIDS 
with the other hematological diseases, other chronic fatigue problems, were treated with double-stranded RNA. At that time, this was considered groundbreaking research. <clears throat> but she had some dispute with her boss there at Temple. And he threatened to have her deported back to Hungary. Wow. <laughs> what do you think about that, Jim? That's, uh, that's pretty harsh. So here she is in a research, a newly minted researcher. They eliminate her position in Hungary, and then the guy at Temple says, I want to just send you back to Hungary. Okay. So she quits. So <laughs> And I she gets a job at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. This is where she started working on messenger RNA, where you create RNA with a specific message to create protein molecules. And she believed that with the messenger RNA technology that you could transform the development of vaccines and many, many medications. Now, messenger RNA, they're single strands of genetic code that are formed by nucleosides, and they instruct human cells to produce proteins, as I said earlier. Now, the idea is that if you synthesize a messenger RNA code in the lab, you can instruct the body to better fight a wide range of illnesses. Now, she wanted to use messenger RNA to treat cystic fibrosis, to, tr to treat strokes, to, to treat cancer, but she lacked the funds to develop her ideas. Now, you see, there was a problem with this messenger RNA uh, idea. When you inject manufactured RNA into the body, the body treats it as a foreign cell, and the immune system kicks in and destroys it. So the messenger RNA was not working because anytime they would inject it in, it would be destroyed. So her colleagues thought that she was going down a dead-end road. They said, you're going to waste all your research time on this, and you're going to get nothing. This is a career-ending effort. They did not support her. She went to the funding agencies. She could not get any funding. She went to New York. She went to New York City to try to get support from the venture capitalists in New York City. They said, no way, Jose. This technology is just not going to go anywhere. But she believed that this technology would be transformative. So she continued to work on it, even though she could not get funding. But this had severe ramifications there at the university. For one thing, when she got there, she was on full track. She was on the track to become a full professor and have tenure. But without money, universities are basically businesses, actually. Without money, there was no tenure track. And the head of the department cut her salary and reduced her rank in 1995. Moreover, the department chair kicked her out of her lab where she'd made some of her main discoveries, and he put her back in some office back where they house the animals, there where they, where they were doing tests. It was a maximum humiliation, and I think the whole goal was to get her to leave. But she wouldn't leave. She continued, despite the humiliation. She asked the next chair to reinstate her to her former position, and he came back to her, and he said, uh, Catalan, 
You are not professor material. But she stayed on. Two years later, working out of that little office in the back by the animals, she met Drew Weissman. He was a professor of immuno immunology. She met him actually at the, uh, at the copy machine. And as they talked, they realized that they both had an interest in messenger RNA. Finally, she found somebody who believed in it. So she and uh, Drew Weissman began working together. And they began working on the, the critical issue. How can you get the mRNA string to stay alive in the body without being killed by the antibodies, by the, by the immune system? And what they found was that if you slightly alter one of the nuclear sides in the mRNA string, you just replace it with another, with another nucleoside, that you make that one simple replacement that, boom, it doesn't trigger the immune system and the mRNA is stable. They found the missing piece in the puzzle. So they wrote a series of articles beginning in 2005. Now, it took them seven years to, to discover. You remember, she met Drew in 1997, and they discovered the missing piece, how to change that nucleoside. They discovered it in 2004. So in 2005, they wrote a series of articles, Carrico and Wiseman, and they described how a specific nucleoside modification in the messenger RNA could lead to reduce immune response. Now, they said, hey, this would be a great thing for us to do. Well, let's set up a company. So they set up a company called, uh, uh, to, uh, to actually make drugs based on mRNA. And Carrico was the chief executive officer. But they never got as far as clinical trials because they actually didn't get funding. I mean, this, this is, I mean, Carrico, I don't think is a salesman. I think she's a scientist. It sounds now, that way. She has a lot of problems with people. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I watched her interview. She's, uh, she's very humble, very humble person. Um, now in, they had, they had applied for two patents. One Carrico had, a, had applied a patent by herself with the idea of using MRNA uh, as, as an intermediary to create proteins. That was the first uh, patent. The second critical patent was how can you stabilize the RNA but with, by changing the one nu nucleoside. And so that was the second patent that was jointly joint between her and Weissman. So they applied for the patents, and the patents were awarded in 2013. I mean, so things, wow, things are looking really good. Now, here's the interesting thing. Despite the university's attitude about her research and the way they treated her, they had all the rights to the patents. They owned all the patents. She had no rights to the patents. And without compensating her, they sold those patents mm. to a third-party sell script just to make some cash. Now, there were other people out there that had read the articles that she and Weissman wrote back in 2015. 2005 and they read them and there was and there was one guy by the name of Rossi he was a he was a um, uh, he's he studied um, Derek Rossi he was he, he was a, um, a a cellular biologist he studied he said yeah this is this is a real deal so Rossi a candidate stem cell biologist uh, uh, did get strong financial backers and in 2010 
he founded a company that was going to use her technique to uh, rep to create proteins in the body. Uh, and that company's name was Moderna, which we all know now. Uh, he started that in 2010 with funding or 20, uh, yeah, 2010 with funding. Now, flagship pioneering was the venture capital firm that actually backed Moderna. So they immediately contacted, uh, contacted Cattle and they said, look, we want to use your technology. We'd like to license your technology. And she said, well, unfortunately, I don't own it. And in fact, the university had sold it to this guy who had a company called CellScript. So they went to CellScript and licensed the technology that, um, that she and uh, Weissman had created. Now, there was another company that uh, that was started uh, that that was started called uh, BioNTech. Now, BioNTech was a was another company that was started also using the same patents that they licensed from CellScript, using her using really her patents, and they were they were going to work on this thing BioNTech, and that was another company. And BioNTech, when they decided to produce their COVID um, vaccine, they partnered with Pfizer, where Pfizer would do the production. So the BioNTech, uh, uh, you know, startup was about at the same time, backed by VCs. The guys who started these companies are billionaires. Uh, Caitlin got nothing. Wow. So she mm. realized that, uh, you know, University of Pennsylvania was not going to let her live her dream. They weren't going to let her work on messaging RNA. So she just decided to quit that place. So she quit and she became vice president for BioNTech. So she is the chief technology officer for the company that made the Pfizer uh, Pfizer vaccine. So she, she's vice president for there. And, and uh, you know, and so while she was there, she, they, you know, a BioNTech has now created, uh, you know, 20 or 30 different medicines using this uh, messenger RNA, and so has Moderna. And so, and, and it turned out COVID is just, it's just one, one application. In fact, when they were, when she was at Pfizer, she was talking about, they, they were there at Pfizer getting ready to work on another vaccine. They, they had everything prepped up and ready to go in order to program in that messenger RNA. And all of a sudden, this COVID thing struck like lightning in the world. And, uh, and they, and someone released the DNA sequence for COVID. They got that DNA sequence at Pfizer and Moderna. And since this messenger RNA is like a platform, you just kind of plug in the information. They had the vaccine in six weeks. That's how long it took. Only six weeks to get the vaccine. So but really, the, what she did was she developed the delivery system, and then you plug in the specific vac vaccine for whatever you're trying to prevent. For whatever you want. Yeah, that's it's it. a that's platform really that's going to transform medicine. That's why these patents are so, so valuable. Mm. And so she's looking at this being a universal platform for the developments of vaccines targeting infectious diseases as well as new therapeutics and products for protein replacement, immune, immunotherapy, and personalized cancer vaccines. This is a huge breakthrough. Now, what happens when the messenger RNA 
performs its duty and creates the proteins. What it's doing is creating a protein which is a partial replica of the COVID virus, but it's a non-functioning replica. And as soon as it creates that replica, that partial replica of the COVID virus, it just disintegrates. So there's nothing left over. It's actually an extremely clean vaccine without, with very, 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 very few side effects. Now, the British ethnologist Richard Dawkins, as well as Derek Rossi, the guy that started Moderna, they have nominated Drew Weissman and Caitlin, uh, Caitlin for a Nobel Prize. They believe that the work they have done is so transformational that they deserve a Nobel Prize. And I went on to the University of Pennsylvania website. These guys have no shame. They're bragging about how their research has created revolutionary therapies based on messenger RNA. And they had nothing to do with it. No. They tried Mm. to stop it. All they did was milk the system and basically I feel like they stole her patents and they benefited from them. So, so she gets nothing out of this, period. No. Wow. I mean, I, at least I think University of Pennsylvania ought to give her a percentage of the royalties. Oh, I know. I, it's, it's a shame. That's really they ought to give her. But then when you go back and look at how they treated her, I mean, there, there is something, uh, I, I mean, you've got to look at, okay, she was probably had an accent. Uh, she was a woman in a man's world. She was embarking on something that didn't have money, and and she didn't listen to conventional wisdom. She was pursuing something that she believed would work, and that just didn't fit the mold. Yeah. So they they just they just dumped on her. I I I, I really uh, this isn't exactly IT. This is really profiles in in um, in in biological technology rather yeah. than information well, technology. Biotech, yeah. But it was such a compelling story. And now that now that now I've had the Moderna, I've had both both of my uh, Moderna shots, and so it's rolling out. And uh, they, the the reason that this uh, this particular technology is so powerful, they 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 can they can make a hundred million doses very quickly. They, see, the traditional way, you've got to get cells, you've got to kill them. I mean, it's very complicated to do it in the old way, where it actually get COVID virus and you'd kill it, and mm-hmm. then you use that killed COVID, COVID virus as the basis of the vaccine. Well, that doesn't scale very well. With this platform, they can scale it up right away. That's why we've got literally hundreds of millions of doses going out, because this technology is so fast. It is transformational. And um, I just, I think she should ultimately be given her due. That's, that's very interesting. And uh, how did you find out about her, if I might ask? Well, uh, I just started looking around. I was curious as to where it came from. Mm-hmm. What I try to do in all of these profile NITs, I try to go back and find the person who made it happen. So, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, President Trump had Operation Warp Speed, which mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, and I think the point of that was to remove bureaucracy from the proce- pro- uh, process of, of doing uh, this vaccine work. Did that also help, or do you feel like, uh, oh no! That, that listen, that helped dramatically. Let me tell you. Not only was there resistance in the academic community to her work, big pharma hated it. 
because they had a cash cow the way, the way they were making vaccines. They had a huge cash cow. They had a monopoly. They were stopping this technology from coming to the marketplace, okay? And what happened was Trump found out about it, and he says, I'm going to bet on that horse. He pulled the trigger, and he funded it, despite Big Pharma. If it would not have been for Operation Warp Speed, this wouldn't have happened. So, so it, took, it took decisive leadership to bring this to the forefront following a decisive research to get it there. So all of that came together at the perfect, uh, perfect time. And so Trump didn't follow conventional wisdom. He, he, he tried something that was uh, untested. They had never made a vaccine with this technique. There was a certain degree of risk with it. Now, Caitlin says she knew it would work, but still it was untested. And so Trump, who's a risk taker, decided... Let's go for broke. So and that this, was a great decision. This will revolutionize uh, the making of future vaccines going down the road, won't it? It will, across the mm. board. And that's, so now, it, see amazing. if there's a variant using this technique, they can pop out a vaccine in six weeks if we don't have to go through this whole drawn-out test process. You see, they had the vaccine in six weeks, but it took six months to test it. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if we get to the point where we trust it to the point that we don't have to have six months of testing, it could be like the flu vaccine where they create it and they, then they deliver it. You don't have to go through all kinds of test trials. So, yeah, this is going to transform. It's, it's, it's going to impact, you know, cancer. It's going to impact AIDS. Mm. It is across the board going to impact everything. That, you know, this is the beginning. I mean, this is like a molecular engine where you put in these molecules and they just do what you want them to do. This is transformational and I, I just don't think you listen to the news I just I just don't think they're communicating it and and I think Trump should have explained this story instead of saying oh, I've got a big beautiful vaccine I mean that didn't communicate anything <laughs> and you know how everything he said was ripped apart so I know but right. if and uh, you know none none of the fauci never explained this I never heard any definitive explanation of this vaccine from anybody in any of those briefings. Well, it's a fascinating story, and I hope you're paying attention to it because your chance to win free lunch for your knowledge comes up when we play the pop quiz on Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 107.7 FM HD 2, south of uh, Washington and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think everybody's really excited about Catlin Carrico. They're cheering for her. And they're excited that they're getting a vaccine on the way out of the studio. Oh, yes. <laughs> I tell you, Jim, we could really build a large studio audience if we gave vaccinations <laughs> during the show. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Listen, uh, uh, this, of course, is not merely a radio show. It's a classroom of the airways. And uh, we're going to give you a pop quiz to see if you have been listening. Uh, this, is, this is what they call uh, learning assessment. Right. And if you get the correct answer to the pop quiz, you get A-plus for today's show. Plus, you get tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford dining rooms when they open. The earlier in the show, I talked about Catalin Carrico. She was the driving force between messenger RNA um, uh, protein therapies, and uh, which were the basis for the two COVID vaccines. She left communist Hungary to come to the U.S., but she couldn't bring cash with her, so she, uh, uh, officially, but she managed to bring cash with her by hiding it in a particular item. Where did she hide the cash in order to smuggle it to the U.S.? If you know the answer to today's question, pick up your phone, give us a call. Dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're standing in line for a COVID shot east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're experiencing an inflammatory reaction in Canada, don't call us, call a doctor, or call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's sanitized hourly using synthesized ribonucleic acids. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Church. Let's do the warning of the week. Yes, please. Hackers are selling home security videos online. Chinese hackers have been selling private footage from security cameras and selling them online. The videos are sold through, through social media, and they have prices according to how exciting how exciting the footage is. Video clips involving, what would I say, bedroom scenes are $8 each. Other scenes, like oh kitchen God. scenes, are $3 each. jeez. Uh, oh, <laughs> Hackers are selling real-time viewing through these cameras by providing the uh, user ID, the IP address, and the password. Now, that co costs just $11 for 10 households. 
Or you could get a, a deal. You could get 10 hotels plus 10 households for $23. Or you could get 20 hotels plus 20 households, and they go for $39. Now, what these guys are doing, they're going around and they're installing these webcams in hotels. And they're linking the webcams to the hotel Wi-Fi, and they're hiding them in the room so the hotel doesn't even know they're there. And the guy says, well, look, if they find, if they find a webcam, uh, it's okay. We'll just replace it with another one. So they don't really care. And then they, and, and the other thing is these video uh, cameras are really easy to hack, and some people don't even put passwords on them. In fact, there are websites, and you know, I'm not going to give them here. You, you can search on websites that have unsecured webcams, and, and you'd be amazed what you see in these unsecured webcams. So my uh, sort of the warning of the week is these webcams aren't as secure as you think, so I'd just be careful where you place them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just uh, and never trust the security of webcam. And if you're not sure about your webcam, I'd certainly put a secure password on it, uh, maybe change the password. And uh, and don't do what some people do, put no password on it, really the default password. That's just a warning of the week. Okay. All right, Doc, we have somebody who'd like to play the game okay. today. We're going to go to line one. This is MC calling us from Silver Spring. MC, how are you doing today? All is well, Jim and Doc. Thank good. you for all you do. Very good. Okay, we Doc, got go uh, earlier... Earlier in the show, MC, I, I, we talked about Kathleen Carrico. She specialized in messenger RNA. When she came from uh, Hungary, where did she hide the cash that she brought with her? She hid it in her daughter's bear doll. There you go. Excellent. Correct. Very good, Very sir. Good. You are the winner today. And uh, thanks for checking in this morning, and thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Doc, I think because of the time, we are just going to continue right on, and we're going to do this without a commercial break today. Observations from the bunker. Whoa. You know, I've been reflecting a lot in the bunker this week. It's, it, you know, it's a place I go to meditate. You know, Jim, I close <laughs> the door and nobody so, bothers me. It, it sounds so peaceful and dank down there. It is. I can, I can, med- I can close my eyes and I'm just, just alone. <laughs> As I was thinking about Catlin uh, uh, Carrico, two words came to mind: grit and resilience. She was disrespected and uh, try, and people tried to stop her at multiple times in her career, and yet she proceeded to complete almost 40 years of research toward a single goal. Now, this ability that she had, uh, and she's a very mild-mannered woman, but she is determined you, you can look her up. There, there, there are videos online. And she has a combination of grit and resilience. And I just thought I'd feature that because these, these are two characteristics that define success. Successful people all have grit and resilience. Now, grit is the tendency to be able to sustain an interest in something and work toward a long-term goal. You don't have to have immediate gratification every day. You can focus on the goal and you just keep 
trucking along. Now, people are born with various levels of grit, but uh, but you can develop grit through uh, through experience. Uh, parents can help their children develop grit by giving them projects that take longer to do. And as you develop grit, you have to shift your mindset away from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset where you're not worried about failure. You're just going to keep on learning despite whatever happens until you get your goal. So grit is about sustained, consistent effort toward a goal, even as we struggle, falter, or temporarily fail. Now, <clears throat> resilience is the ability to bounce back after we've struggled or failed. You pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you collect your thoughts, and you get back to business. Now look at Caitlin. They, they eliminated her job there in Hungary. She went to Temple, worked there for four years. The guy tried to send her back to Hungary uh, at, um, not at, yeah, Temple. Then she went to University of Pennsylvania. They demoted her, cut her salary, reduced her rank, took her away from the tenure track, took away her lab, stuck her in a little back office by the animals, and she kept working. She kept working. She kept working on the one final barrier. Uh, and she found someone to work with her with. And in the end, Here because she Tony. never gave up, she prevailed. So grit is the engine that moves us toward our goal, and resilience is the oil that keeps the engine moving. And uh, I think it's important to try to develop both of those attributes in, uh, in children or in education, because those are two attributes that will allow you to have ultimate success. The, the other thing I'd like to say about Caitlin, she, um, you know, I, uh, she's not bitter. Uh, she, uh, That's interesting. I saw her talking. They, 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 I, 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 saw an interview that she gave on, um, um, on, on, on a, on a particular, on a CNN somewhere or something. And she, um, she, um, they said, well, now that your, your vaccine is, uh, you know, has been validated by the FDA, uh, you, you must feel vindicated. You must really be happy. And, and her response was, she says, I'm not going to celebrate until every single person in this world is vaccinated and we have conquered COVID. That is all she's worried about, helping humanity. And this whole money deal is, is I think, is a bigger deal to me than it is to her. Hmm. Uh, she's just focused on a mission. And, uh, and she's so mild-mannered and so uh, pleasant and uh, not demanding— but she is rock hard solid when it comes to her mission, and you just can't get her off of it. I, I got unbelievable respect for Caitlin. Uh, let's talk about uh, you know uh, cryptocurrencies. It turns out you know when you when you when you try to validate this distributed ledger, the calculus get harder and harder and harder. And it turns out that the crypto mining process in China alone is going to produce 130 million tons of carbon dioxide just because of all the electricity used by the crypto mining computers. Now, China hosts more than 75% of the cryptocurrencies. So we're actually generating more a, a bigger carbon footprint than, than, than many countries with crypto mining. 
Researchers at the University of Chinese Academy of Sciences predicted that the annual energy consumption for Bitcoin blockchain in China will peak in 2024. From that point on, Bitcoin will require approximately 297 terawatt hours of energy and will be responsible for 130 million tons of carbon emissions every year. Now, in order to do all of that work, you need a lot of uh, graphical processors. And so smugglers were caught carrying NVIDIA CPM processors, smuggling them into China, 300 processors. You know, there's a, there's a chip shortage. So now they're trying to capture these things and, and fix them. But this is a problem that should not exist. I mean, honestly, we're, we're calculating something. It's, you can change the calculation, and there are ways to do it so it doesn't take so much energy. We need to change the algorithm. Now, AI is making remarkable progress on the folding problem. You know, Google owns DeepMind. And, there's, and, and what it is, protein is folded. So if you can picture somebody takes like a croissant, and you, and you fold it down, you smash it, you roll it over, you smash it, you bend it, you smash it. And all of a sudden, when the croissant is done, you've got all these layers of, uh, of, of, uh, of flour and butter. And then somebody says, well, now I would like you to unfold that croissant so we can see how it was before you folded it. So in order to understand how protein works, you've got to unfold it to see what the baseline system is. And, you know, unfolding proton is like unfolding a croissant, very complicated. And uh, so they've developed, and DeepMind now has an AI program, and they've actually started analyzing proteins, and they've unfolded, uh, and they've unfolded uh, uh, millions of, um, of, 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 of proteins, and, and they're about, two, and they're with about two-thirds the accuracy of when humans do it. So you want a human do it, it takes a long time, long time. So what they're going to try to do, but they're not as accurate as humans when you finally find a protein that you can do. So they're going to augment humans with this, uh, with this deep mind to help unfold the proteins. Right now, there are 200 million known proteins, but only a fraction have actually been unfolded and understood. So what they're going to do, they're, they're, going, to, uh, they're going to analyze that, uh, that you know, 200 million, figure out which ones are the most likely to be fruitful, and then humans will work on those. I think this is a major, major breakthrough. Well, that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.